Please and turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter number 13. The Gospel of Luke in chapter number 13. The Gospel of Luke in chapter number 13. We're going to begin reading in verse number 31 and read down through the end of the chapter, five verses together. Luke chapter 13, I'm going to begin with verse 31 and I tell you what, we have just a handful of verses here. Let's read all five of these verses in unison this morning. Luke chapter 13, stand with me please out of respect for the word of God and read these five verses beginning with verse 31 through Verse number 35, together please. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out, and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye, and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, Ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I read this passage again as I have, uh, I guess, scores of times throughout my life. In verse 34, where the Lord Jesus himself laments, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. He's bearing his soul, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. I wanted to take you up in my arms, so to speak. I wanted to shield you. I wanted to protect you. I wanted you close to my heart, but you wanted nothing to do with it. Verse 35, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. That's a sobering word, that word desolate. And we'll take that as the title of the message this morning. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, convey, Lord, to your people this morning... As you conveyed to me in my own soul this week, Lord, through your spirit. I want to have a heart like that of the Savior. I want to care like the Savior cared. I want to take the burdens of others upon my heart as did the Savior. I want to be like him in that way. Help us, Lord, to open our eyes and see something around us today that would move our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. 
this morning while we were taking prayer requests in the Sunday school hour. I just pulled my sheet out here from the pulpit. But a, a prayer request was given for a little 10-year-old boy who is on a ventilator who I think just days ago was in a house fire and received second and third degree burns. And so um, we need to pray for him, don't we? Doesn't your heart go out when you hear things like this? Chevy Burrow, I believe I said that correctly. And so here's a little 10-year-old boy whose world has been turned upside down right at Christmas. There's a lot of places in the world right now that are desolate, that are at war. You know, much of the world is hungry today. You and I, you know, we eat like kings and queens, don't we? We really do. And much of the world is hungry today. And there may be some among us this morning that are hungry. Jesus came to this city and he cries out from his soul, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He loved Jerusalem. By the way, he still loves Jerusalem. And the Bible said this, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Now you listen, you need to believe your Bible and not people who talk out of both sides of their mouth. Who rest. There's a Bible word, W-R-E-S-T. And you can see it on full display every single day of your life if you, if you want to and if you can stomach it. Where we take little pieces of what someone said and we piece it next to something else. We leave off some words here, leave off some words here, flip something around and take what somebody's words and, and make it to say the total opposite of what it was. The Bible word for that is W-R-E-S-T, which means to wrench or to twist, who rest words. And it's happening all around us today. You better not listen to people who manipulate words and sound bites to try to get you to think a certain way. You know... Uh, Jesus didn't mind calling the leadership out here, did he? What did he call King Herod? In verse number 32, he called him a fox. And he was, the Herod family, the, the fa- that family was, they were just, they truly were wicked and vile. Uh, uh, several of them, there was several generations of them. Some of them killed their own wives because they were suspicious of them, killed their own sons because they were suspicious of them. They were, just, they were demonic, it was demonic, no doubt about it. And uh, but but the the Pharisee Jesus has been teaching, and we won't go back earlier in the chapter. But Jesus has been teaching, and some of the Pharisees who showed up, they like to listen to him, and they like to try to pick apart his words and try to ensnare him, and so forth. And uh, after he got done with this one particular dissertation, one of them spoke up in verse thirty-one and said, uh, 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 "Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee." He said, "You better get out, or you're going to talk like that. Herod's going to have you killed, buddy." And Jesus said, oh my, I better run. (laughs) No, he didn't. He said, you go back and tell that fox. That wasn't wasn't a compliment. (laughs) Go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. 
And you can cross-reference that with Hebrews 10, 12, which teaches us that Christ was perfected through his sufferings. And Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 9, which says that he was made, uh, he was made perfect, became the author of eternal salvation. <coughs> what he's saying is this, I'm going to do what I came here to do. You tell that old fox, I'm going to do what I came here to do. We preached a couple of weeks ago, at least eight times in the Bible, uh, that, that there were times, there were occasions, G- Jesus uh, uh, um, tried to tell what his mission was to his own disciples. I've got a mission. I've come to, uh, to, 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 to live and to die and to be crucified, to die and to be raised from the dead. And they didn't understand his mission. And on several occasions, uh, there were attempts on his life prematurely before he got to Calvary. And each of those times, he miraculously slipped away, disappeared from their sight, and so forth. And so basically what he's saying is you go back and tell that old fox. Uh, 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 you, you go tell that lying, conniving leader that I'm here to do what I came here to do. Amen. And I'm not going anywhere. And he can threaten all he wants. I'm not going to run. Uh, Verse 33, nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Many a prophet, we learn in these verses, had already perished. If tradition is true, Isaiah was put in a log and sawed in half. And there's a reference to that in Hebrews chapter number 11. Many were crucified, crucified upside down, drugged through streets, had their head crushed in with a fuller's club, thrown from towers, trampled to death. Many, many, many martyrs through this century. By the way, many martyrs today. Jesus Christ, he said, I've got a mission and I've come to fulfill it. And then he turns as almost though speaking to no one else. Openly laments. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets. And this they had done. This same Herod had been sent John the Baptist. And what did he do? Had him beheaded. When he saw that he went up in the polls, the people liked it when he had John the Baptist's head cut off. Then he put Peter in prison and planned to do the same thing. Only thing is... It wasn't Peter's time, so God sent an earthquake and rattled that old prison. The doors busted open and he walked out. Amen? Let me tell you something. If you are a child of God, listen carefully, in the will of God, you can't die until God wants you to. Now, if you're out of the will of God, the Bible's clear. He just might take you earlier than planned. But if you're a child of God, in the will of God, you can't go till God wants you to go. Amen. And the Lord says from his, the depths of his soul, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings and you would not. When I read that, the Holy Spirit seemed to say to me, when's the last time you from your soul cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, O Ashborough, O Ashborough, O Randolph County, Randolph County, O 
North Carolina, oh, USA. Well, we need some folks crying out, oh, USA, oh, USA right now. My question for me and for you and for all of us that are believers, what city have we cried out for in recent days? What region causes you to cry, oh, oh, name the region. Name the group of people. Name the ones for whom you cry out and for whom you weep. Who is it whose hardness you bemoan in prayer to God? Who is it that you long to help? Who is it that you long to nurture in the Lord? For whom today do you grieve? Do you hurt? What broken family causes your heart to stir in a spontaneous expression as did our Lord Jesus? Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, my loved one. Oh, my loved one. Oh, my child. Oh, my father. Oh, my wayward friend. When's the last time you did for those whom God has put in your life what Christ did for his beloved city? The word desolate, according to the Webster's Dictionary, means this. Destitute or deprived of inhabitants. As in a desert. As in an uninhabited place. Or a place that had never been inhabited. We might use the word empty for the word destitute. It means laid waste. It means in a ruinous condition. It means neglected. It means destroyed. It means solitary without a companion. There's some desolate in that sense. Hearts this morning. And we tried to recognize that grief. Some will be alone without a companion, without someone they love here at this holiday time. I wonder who it is that you've thought about. I have a great life. I have a great life. I have a lovely wife, faithful wife, coming up on 31 years Tuesday. I have the fairest daughters in the land. That's the way I see it anyway. I have a goodly heritage. I'm so thankful I was brought up in church. Taught to love the Lord. Taught to love this book by example. I have a great church family. And honestly, I wish every solid Bible-believing preacher who preached the truth, I, I wish he had what I had. I just don't want him to have what I have. Amen. <laughs> he can get his own, but I wish he had it. What a loving church family. But you know, a lot of people don't have that. When's the last time you said, oh, man, that family needs a church. Man, that, that co-worker of mine, oh, man, they need a church. They need someone to love them, someone to cry with them, someone to care for them. What empty life have you cried out for in recent days? You know, there's a lot of people that have things, but they have an empty life. I mean, they've got all kinds of things. they got the nicest this, the nicest that, but their lives are empty, filled with only things, filled with hollow accomplishments and fair-weather friendships. And Jesus looks over the city, 
the city that rejected the prophets of old, who had them stoned, who, who uh, 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 had uh, John the Baptist, his forerunner, beheaded. And he cries out for them and he laments for them. I was thinking about two little guys, and they're, they're, they're adults now, but at one time we had two young men in our junior department whose fathers had murdered their mothers. We were at a couple's retreat several years ago, and a lady told us how she as a little four-year-old girl hid under the bed. Well, same thing happened in her house. And father took mother's life. You know, there's a lot of emptiness. There's a lot of devastation. There's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of neglect. There's a lot laid waste. There's a lot of emptiness. And somebody ought to see it and notice it and ought to care. And ought to pray. And ought to intercede. I wonder what unmet potential. The word destitute means never having been inhabited. I wonder what unmet potential lays upon our hearts today. I wonder who watches the, the children. You know, our kids, many of the children in this country are, 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 are I think, are a candidates for uh, that millstone that Jesus talked about. They offend the little ones. They're lying to the little ones, indoctrinating the little ones, mistreating the little ones, advocating for the mutilation of their little bodies. And only a satanic spirit, sadistic spirit, would promote such filth and horrific things on our children. Somebody needs to cry out, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, oh, my children, oh, my children, oh, my grandchildren. Somebody needs to see the unmet potential of every little boy and girl who attends this church. Somebody needs to see the potential of all the children that come with their parents, some with their grandparents, some on the Sunday school buses, some with older siblings, and say, there's something I see. There's something I see. Something other than just, ah, there's a kid don't know how to behave. There's an annoying kid. I watch our bus workers sometimes. And by the way, let me say this. You ought to pray for the bus ministry. If you're not in the bus ministry, you ought to pray for the bus ministry and the bus workers. The bus workers, let me say this, are the green berets of the church. They give up every Saturday. They give up every Sunday afternoon. And they need to be lifted up in prayer. Amen. But I wonder, I wonder who would weep over those and cry over those that God's allowed us to reach. I wonder who would look and see the potential that's there. I think about the great Lee Robertson who built the great Highland Park Baptist Church and how as just a boy, a lady Sunday school teacher, Daisy Halls, led him to Christ. I think about Dr. Howes, who was my pastor for seven years, and how his dad was a drunkard and left him when he was just a little five-year-old boy. Went to Sunday school literally barefoot with holes in his britches because they were absolutely impoverished. And how that, that, that uh, little lady named Miss Bethel teaching the little first and second grade class said, boys and girls, Jesus loves you. And that little boy said, looked around the room and saw little suits and ties and saw the nice shoes and so forth and said to the Sunday school teacher, Miss Bethel, does Jesus love me like he does the other little boys and girls? And she took that little first grade boy and put her on her, on her knee and said, I think maybe 
he might love you just a little bit more. And a Sunday school teacher heard, told a little boy that Jesus loves him. And it transformed his life, made a difference in his life. I don't know about you, but when I read that today, I thought, here's my Savior. Here's my Savior. And here's a city that's rebelled against him. Here's a city by and large that's rebelled against those who came before him, those prophets who came before him. Here's a city that in just a few days will nail him to a cross, but he cares for them and he cries for them. And old Jerusalem, old Jerusalem, I ask us what lonely soul do we care for? What lonely soul on a street do we care enough to even make eye contact with or speak to or give them a gospel trap? What lonely soul do we see in a crowd or in a nursing home? So I'm so glad our young people went to the nursing home on last Wednesday. And I want, I, I want, we, listen, we need to revive the nursing home ministry. Bailey, Bailey's Grove Baptist Church, we need to revive the nursing home ministry. We ought to be in the nursing homes in this area every single week of the world. Every single week of the world, we ought to be in them. Sharing the love of Christ. I don't sing too good. They don't mind. Somebody sharing the love of Christ. I'm so happy and heard the sweet stories about several of them receiving Christ as Savior this week as the young people went and sang and, and shared the love of God. There's a lot of lonely souls in the nursing home. There's a lot of lonely souls that are ill at home that would love to be in church but can't be. I think about the desolation that's crossed my path. I, I tell my stories. I'll tell them again. You've heard them. But it impacted me as an 18-year-old boy. And I, I, was, I was brand new working a bus route in the inner city of Chicago. My bus captain, Brother Max, is with the Lord now from California. Said, go back there and make Brian behave. And Brian was a little kid that rode our bus. And uh, he, he never missed. I, I, and he was the worst kid on the bus and the most faithful kid on the bus. <laughs> Anyway, uh, but I remember uh, he was this one particular day. He just was he was bad. He was bad jumping over the seats in the wicked. And so I went and I, I and I got got him down in the seat. And I I wanted to put my hands around his neck, but I I didn't do that. But I did get him up next to the bus seat. And uh, and I got him in the bus seat. And I just pushed myself over, and smashed him up against the side of the bus against the window. And he's squirming trying to get out. And I'm just halfway sitting on top of him and not letting him go anywhere. And he's mad, and he's saying things he shouldn't say on a Sunday school bus or anywhere else. And he's mad at me. And I remember thinking that Dr. Ray Young, who led the bus ministry for so many years, and my good friend, and he said, you know, uh, son, just, just express your love. Express, a lot of people never had anybody expressed, genuinely, sincerely express their love. And I thought about that, and this little kid, and, uh, and uh, I think it was nine years old, maybe ten, and I just said, Brian, I began to tell him, Brian, I love you, buddy. Listen, we love you. We love you, Brian. The bus workers love you. Brother Max loves you. I love you, buddy. Just over and over again, I kept began to tell him. It was a 45-minute tri uh, trip from the inner city down to the church, and so we took that trip down the highway. And for a good 10, 15 minutes, I guess, I kept telling him, I love him, I love him. Finally, his little body slumped down, and he was beat red, and he was just tired of wrestling him. And he just slumped down in his seat and, uh, and relaxed. And I slid over a little bit, and... We had some singing on the bus, and I sang, and he was in his own world. And we got just a few miles from the church, and I'll never forget little Brian from 89-9 up on the north side of Chicago, right near Humboldt Park. He tugged on me, tugged on my arm. He said, Brother John, can I show you something? I said, yeah, little buddy. And that little kid pulled his shirt up like this and showed me the fresh marks on his back where his daddy had bit him with an extension cord the night before.
And I realize sometimes there's a reason people behave the way they behave. Sometimes there's a reason people are hard like they're hard. I remember getting a call a number of years ago, a little, little lady, a little tiny little petite lady. She had two boys, and she honestly, she couldn't do anything with them. They rode one of the Sunday school buses, and they were in trouble a lot. And she called one day. She said, I can't do anything. And she called the little guy's name. Can you come? And I went over here just up the road, not even a mile away, to one of the apartment complexes, and went in there. And they were upstairs apartment. And I went upstairs, and this little boy, eight-year-old boy, was, was up under the bunk beds on the floor up under the bunk beds against the wall. He's mad as a hornet and pitching a fit and so forth. And uh, uh, um, and I, I got I went in the bedroom and I got I got I laid down on my back. I called his name, say me I love you. I just told him I love him. Lay there. I think I sang a little bit. Just laying on the floor. He's under the floor. He's on the floor under the bed. After, I don't know, five or ten minutes or something like that, he poked his head out from under the bed. He said, as soon as I get old enough to, I'm going to find some girl, I'm going to get her pregnant, and then I'm going to leave my baby just like my daddy left me. Exactly what he told me. I don't know if there's anything you can do to repair the damage that has been done in lives. But i tell you one thing you can do. You can say, oh God. Oh God. Oh help. Oh help. As saved our Savior did. Can I give you four simple statements? Number one. Get empty. Number one, get empty. What can you do about the desolation around you? Number one, get empty. There is a philosophy that is incompatible with freedom. And it is being hoisted upon this generation. I read some very sad statistics this week. And I looked at them again this morning. In, in certain demographics, there are more, there's a greater percentage of young people sympathetic to terrorism than to a free nation. Our friend, the city that Jesus wept over and loved, Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. Now let me tell you why. First of all, they've been lied. First of all, the truth hasn't been told. And another statistics I read this week, nearly half of young people in this country either deny that the Holocaust happened or say it is blown way out of proportion. When six million Jews were slaughtered by the Nazis. So first of all, many of them are not being told the truth. I, I, I read an article by a good lady who went into uh, a lawmaker, I can't call her last, uh, first name, her last name is Tlaib, somebody help me, Rashida Tlaib, her, um, her district, uh, the poverty rate 
the, the, the single uh, status of adults in her district is it's way beyond the national averages. It's, it's impoverished. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a tough place to live. And, and this group of folks uh, went in there and, and, and they tried to put a good message out. And, and so they went over around the town and they put up signs and so forth, uh, placards and signs that said, um, uh, to, to, to this message to, to, to the young people, finish school, get married, take the first job you can get. Now that's a pretty basic message. Finish school. Have a pretty good idea? Yeah? Get married. I like that idea, amen? Get a job. How many think that's a good message? Now, how in the world that could be turned around to be discriminatory and a negative message? Listen to me. The only way that can happen is if people have been sold a bill of goods that you are a victim and you've been mistreated and the world's stacked against you. Now, you listen to me. My Bible tells me that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. My Bible said every man must give account of himself to God. In the Old Testament, that same philosophy was spread around and people would say, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. In other words, my dad did this or didn't do that or mistreated me and now I'm reaping the con. My life is what it is because of my dad. And the prophet said, no, sir, we don't use that proverb. The soul is responsible for its own decisions, his own choices, and young people that are in this room today and all of us, listen to me carefully, you are not the product of what happened to you. You are the product of how you respond of what happened to you you're the product of your choices and your decisions those placards got torn down across that district because it was a negative message and discriminatory finish school get married take a job listen listen the world and the devil, who's the chief liar, wants you and I filled with self. Filled with self-pity. Filled with self-loathing. Filled with self-exaltation. Filled with self-degradation. It doesn't matter which side of the spectrum it is on. It doesn't matter if you, if you degrade yourself and, and, and harm yourself and cut yourself and say, I'm not worth anything and nobody loves me and everybody be better off without me. Or if you're on this side of the spectrum and say, I'm better than everybody else and I, I don't have nothing to do with that kind of person and I'm in, I'm in a different class. It, 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 it's two ends of, uh, of the spectrum, but it's the same issue. It's consumed with self. And if you are going to be like Christ and pour your life out for other people, the first thing you've got to do is be empty of yourself. Empty of self-entitlement. Empty of self-loathing. Empty of self-ambition. Empty of self-interest. You will never see the needs around you until you get your eyes off your own. You'll never see the burdens around you and the hurts around you and the misfortunes around you and the desolation around you until you get your eyes off of your own. Listen, how many of you saved this morning? Say amen. 
Listen, we're just passing through. If this world from you withhold of its silver and its gold and you have to get along on meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little birds and take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there and don't become a victim and don't act like the whole world's against you. Stand up and realize God is good all the time no matter what your circumstances are. You cannot and you never will moan and cry out and pray and weep and intercede for others until you become empty of yourself. Number two. Number one, get empty. Number two, get filled. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke 11 with me. Go back just a handful of pages. Luke 11. In verse 1, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. What follows is what we often call the Lord's Prayer, but I think would be better suited to call it a a pattern for prayer. When ye pray, verse 2, Jesus says, he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that's a wonderful prayer. And I think it can be said, uh, 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 used in personal uh, devotional life. I think a group of people can say it. Uh, and it be sincere. Sadly, it's become what Jesus spoke against in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. A lot of people just buy a bunch of words and saying the same things over again mindlessly. Mindlessly repeating the Lord's Prayer has no merit whatsoever. It's not prayer at all, the Bible said. Jesus said just saying a bunch of words to be heard doesn't mean anything. Now, you could take those words and make them your own just like you could other passages of Scripture. But that's not, that, those, the point is when he said teach us to pray, he wasn't saying these are the words you say. He lays out a pattern for prayer. In this prayer we find adoration, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We find submission to the will of God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven so on earth. We find a, 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 a dependence on God, give us day by day our daily bread every day, we need him. We find forgiveness and forgive us our sins, that's confession. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Uh, we, we, we go to the Lord for forgiveness. Forgiveness and God help me, uh, uh, forgive me of my sins and help me now to forgive others who need forgiveness from me and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This is a pattern for prayer. But then the Lord goes into an illustration in verse 5 through verse 13. He says, in verse 5, he said, And then which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight? And say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is uh, uh, in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. 
I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, that word means he kept on asking, kept on asking, kept on asking, begging continually, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. What, he's, what we're learning, that he just gave us an illustration about prayer. He's still teaching on prayer. It didn't conclude. Uh, 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 verse 4 would teach us to pray. He's still teaching them how to pray. And, and, and he gives this illustration. If you take notes in your Bible, go back to verse number 5. And uh, I'll have you circle a few things. Said unto them, which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, friend. You want to circle that and write God the Father next to it. God the Father. That is a picture of God the Father. We're going to learn that in a moment. You might then circle the last word of verse 5, loaves. And next to that, you could put the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Loaves, that's bread. Something to feed others. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'll show it to you in a minute. And then as you begin verse number 6, there is a friend, but this is not the same friend. Verse 5 is the Father, God the Father, but verse 6, for a friend of mine. So look at me for just a moment so you don't get confused here. In verse number 5, a man goes to his friend, his neighbor. That neighbor represents God the Father. And he says to his neighbor friend, he said, a friend, another friend of mine is come on a long journey. He's hungry and I don't have anything to feed them. So at the beginning of verse 6, you could circle friend and next to it put those in need. Those in need. So here's the story. Here's the parable. Here's a man and it's late at night and a friend shows up at his house and he's come a long way. And he wants to be a good host. And his friend is hungry. He's traveled a long way. And so he, he says, man, I don't have anything in the house to feed my friend. I wasn't prepared for company. So he gets up uh, at late at night and he goes over to his neighbor. He calls him friend as well. He said, look, friend. He said, I've got a friend that showed up at my house. I don't have a thing in the world to feed him. Can you give me some bread? Can I have some loaves, please, uh, to give my friend? And his friend next door says, man, it is late at night. We're already in bed. Come back tomorrow for crying out loud. And the man heads back across the yard to go back to his house. And he thinks about his friend who's been such a long journey and got there late at night and he's hungry. And he, and he said, I can't, I, don't, I, I can't go without feeding him something. So he goes back again to his neighbor friend. He says, friend, he wakes him up again, knocks on the door. Man wakes up, comes in. And he said, what? You're back again? Yes, I just, just give me something. My friend is coming. I need something for him. Please, would you give me something to feed my friend? He says, it is late. Leave us alone. And so he starts heading back to us and he thinks, I can't go back. He comes back. And the Bible doesn't tell us how many times exactly. But the word importunity means continual begging. In other words, he kept at it and kept at it and kept at it, banging the door. And the guy came out and said, if I give you some bread, will you let us rest? He said, yeah, I will. And he got his bread and he went back and he fed his friend. Look at it. Verse number verse number uh, 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 nine. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Ask for loaves and it will be given you. For yourself? No. Seek and ye shall find for yourself. No, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now he asks a series of questions that almost seem silly. They have an understood answer. If a son shall ask bread of you, 
of any of you that is a father? Will he give him a stone? Look, if you have a boy and he asks you for a piece of bread, you're going to give him a rock? Of course not. Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a servant? Your son said, Dad, can I have some fish? No, here's a poisonous snake. You're not going to do that. Verse 12, or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course not. Verse 13, the explanation. If ye then, being evil, being imperfect, being sinners, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? He's still teaching on the subject of prayer and he comes and he says, listen, you, you, you've, got, you've, got, you've got hungry friends. You've got weary friends. You've got friends that have traveled down a long and dark and lonely road and you need to feed them, but you don't have what you need to feed them. But there is a friend that you can go to and you can say, I need something from you because I got some lonely people in my life and some desolate people in my life and some broken people in my life and I need something from you to give my friends and the friend here represents God the Father and the bread represents the ministry of the Holy Spirit and this friend over here in need is anybody that crosses your path that has a need they might be lost they need conviction they might be hurting uh, they need comfort they might be one who needs to be grounded in the word of God they need a teacher they might be one who, who needs guidance they need a guide all of those which the Holy Spirit of God is and so he says, if you got enough sense to give your son a piece of bread when he's hungry, not a rock, then surely I will give the Holy Spirit to those of you who want it bad enough to keep me awake at night, who want it bad enough to cry, oh God, oh Father, Father, help me. I need some bread for my friends. I got some unsafe friends and they, they, they just like they don't even, their heart's not moved. Oh, give me some power. Give me some bread. Oh, I got some hurting friends and they need comfort. Give me some bread. Give me some bread. I don't know what to say. Give me some bread. Now you keep the Lord, you keep the Father awake and, and, and seek Him. And guess what? He will fill you up. He will fill you up. And the Bible said when you're filled, the fruit of that is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. One of our members this last, this last week lost a loved one. And they said to one of our members, much younger than, than they, the one who lost their loved one, they said this, how is it you love me the way you do? I feel like you genuinely care about me. And you just don't see that much in the world. And you don't, sadly. You know who that was? A spirit-filled Christian. Somebody who went and got some bread. I said, number one, you want to do something about the desolation? Get empty. Number two, get filled. Number three, pour out. This is not complicated. <laughs> get empty, get filled, pour out. Pour out. Oh, listen to me. There's people, listen. Look, uh, John chapter 7 and uh, verses 37 through 39 says that the Holy Spirit is like a river that flows from us. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters. This spake he of the Spirit. If you're a Christian 
and you go to God the Father and you say, please give me what I need to help my unsaved loved ones. Give me what I need to help my, 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 my co-workers that, that, that don't care anything about God. Please give me what I need. Give me a heart. Give me love and compassion. Give me power. Give me wisdom to speak to. Please give me something. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help. What do you say to a little boy who's bitter at his dad because his dad left him and crawls and makes a, makes a fit for his mom every day? What do you say to a little, little girl who watched her own dad take her mama's life, stuck up under a bed trying to you say, what do you say? You don't have something and I don't have something. But God Almighty has something. He has comfort. He has care. He has compassion. He has love. He has patience. His spirit in you, feeling you, will empower you to care for others and meet their needs. Pour out. James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Is a collar turned around backwards, a long black robe and a funny hat? No. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Is light a bunch of candles and don't eat burgers on Friday. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Make a pilgrimage to some place and throw a few coins in the fountain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I remember asking, talking to Brother Ray about this, and asked him, heard him say it. But one of his bus captains came to him one time and described the situation, and he said, I don't know what to do. How do I help this person? And that servant of God, he said, you know, sometimes all you can do for someone is just weep for them. I thought about Isaiah, who said, my heart shall cry for Moab. Lamentations 2.19 speaks of those who crowd in the night. In Jeremiah 13.17, my soul shall weep in secret places. There's a lot of brokenness in the world. There's a lot of emptiness in the world. There's a lot of desolation in the world. What can you do about it? Forget about yourself. Get empty. Somebody mistreated you and you, you still can't get over it. Get empty. Get empty. Die to self. Get empty. Get over your self-pity, your self-loathing, your self-aggrandizement, your self-interest, your self-entitlement, your self-ambition, your self-loathing, your self-degradation. I, I watched a guy this week walking down. 64 is a busy road. And he, ran out, he had run out of gas, evidently. And I watched him. If, 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 how can I illustrate this? If, uh, if if this stairs right, if this stairs right here is 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 the is the shoulder the grassy area. Come on, sixty four Dixie Drive. Everybody with me? This is a grassy out, out toward the school. This is a grassy area, and this is the highway. This young man was was here in the in in the lane. Swinging this little gas thing and, and making eye contact with drivers like, I dare you to hit me while I walk down the middle of the road. Now, you know what that comes from? That comes from a bunch of, a bunch of lies that have been packed into kids' heads that life isn't fair, people look down on you, and you've been mistreated. You are made in the image of Almighty God. 
You are God's special creation. You are somebody. Amen. That's why you and I as believers are commanded to honor all men. We show respect and honor. Why? Because men have, men have dignity. Every man has dignity made in the image of God. But his body language and his eye and his face reflected an inner attitude that I can promise you is holding that young man's life back. You want, to make a, you want to make yourself a blessing. Get empty. Get empty. Forget yourself. Number two, get filled with the Spirit. Number three, pour out. Number four, repeat. Repeat. Do it again. Do it again. Listen. Some of our folks are tired around here right now. They've given and given and given. But Jesus did the same. That lady touched him. We talked about two Sundays ago. The lady touched him of his garment. And he stopped. He said, I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. That word virtue is the word dunamis. It's the same word power used in the book of Acts. Holy Spirit power went out of him. When he, when, when he healed that woman, the touch of his garment and spiritual power left him. And when you love and when you teach and when you witness and when you go and when you have compassion, spiritual power pours out of you, which is why you need to do what Jesus did who more than one occasion went and spent all night in prayer, went up in the mountain, prayed all night, got up early in the morning to a solitary place where he prayed. You need to go back and you need to get filled up again and go pour out again and get filled up again and get poured out again and get filled up again and get poured out again. And if your eyes are dry today, if your heart isn't burning like Jesus Christ, then you probably need to get empty and get filled and then pour out and then do it again. Get empty and get filled and get poured out. Amen. If you're mad at the world, you need to get empty. Then you need to go get filled and then you need to pour out. Amen. There is a, listen, there is need everywhere you go. If your life is absorbed in you, you are missing what life is all about. The greatest joy of life is pouring yourself into other people. Not something you can do for charisma or position or with your money in your pocket. It is supernatural. It is God the Holy Spirit. I sent out some messages yesterday. Some of you got them. I sent a message to a man encouraging him. And he shot back immediately. He said, I can't believe this. Ten minutes ago, I got this phone call. My brother has this type of cancer. Oh, and we had it shared back and forth. You know, God will put people right in your path. I want to be to others what Christ was to Jerusalem. Bow your heads, please. Our heads are bowed. Eyes are closed.